Welcome to Bayou City. If you want to pull your Bible out, set it on your lap, turn to Matthew chapter 23 with me, and potentially Matthew chapter 12. A little over a month ago, we started a series called Questions. We've been responding to questions that you have asked, uh, questions like, how can I trust my Bible, or how do I know I can trust my Bible, Uh, why is there suffering in the world? Um, Last week we talked about why, uh, or what does it mean, this Jewish-Gentile thing that I read so much about in the New Testament but there was one question I think that intrigued me most of all in the list of things that we received. How do I know if I am a Pharisee? The Pharisees in the scripture were the opponents of Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't really treat them as opponents, but they positioned themselves as opposing so much of what he wanted to do. And so I think it's a, a relevant question. You see in your listening guide, I brought some definitions with me just so we're all operating on the same page. Uh, the Pharisees were a religious and political group in first century Israel. They were extremely dedicated to obedience to the Torah. I mean, everybody in first century Israel, for the most part, was dedicated to God's law. But the Pharisees, they were zealous for it. Uh, They were extremists. They were the model for passionate faith. All of us would like to be more uh, zealous and passionate about our faith. And the Pharisees were the, so I become like them. If, if, If I want to feel this way, if I want my faith to be connected to everything that I'm doing in this world, the Pharisees were the modeled. Jesus also talked a lot about the scribes, and he does in Matthew chapter 23. The scribes were trained experts in reading, teaching, interpreting, and enforcing the Torah. So these were the people who went to Bible college, and then they went to seminary on top of that. They were the experts. They were trained. They would interpret the scriptures. They would help regular people, us common people, know uh, what everything meant. And then they took it on themselves to be the enforcers of it. So they would take that interpretation, they would lay it on top of you, and they would make sure that you were doing exactly what you needed to, to do. The Pharisees and scribes were the opponents of Jesus in the Gospels. And so many of the stories, they are the foil. They are the ones working against his agenda. And and here's the terrifying part. The Pharisees did not know that they were Pharisees. I mean, they knew that they were a part of this religious political group, but they did not know that they were opposing God. And that's why I think this question of how do I know if I'm a Pharisee is so important because God forbid we get to the end of our life, step fully into Jesus kingdom and find out that this whole time that we thought we were working with God, we were working against him. How do I know if I'm a Pharisee? Matthew chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus makes mention of Moses' seat in your listening guide. Moses' seat was a specific chair in the synagogue for the synagogue leader or teacher. So if you were in charge that day of teaching the law to the people who had gathered at the synagogue, you would do it from Moses' seat. You're teaching the law of Moses to the people of God. You sit in Moses' seat. And Jesus says they sit and they teach, do what they say because they are teaching God's law, but don't 
do what they do. Listen to their words, but don't follow their example. If you follow their example, you'll end up in the wrong place. So listen to them because they are teaching God's law, but don't become like them. See, the Pharisees were zealous for for God's law. They were passionate about it. They did not want to break God's law. It's the last thing that they wanted to do on this earth. So they had this thing that surrounded the law called the oral tradition. It, it was commentary. It was, we don't want to break God's law, so here's the things that we're going to put in place to make sure that we don't break God's law. Uh, a few years ago at our last house, um, we had a pool, and, and then we had Willa, who, who's now three. But when she was born, we were terrified because our older kids knew how to swim, but she didn't know how to swim. She was going to be a toddler waddle out there, so we built a fence. We had a fence around our house, but we needed to build a fence in between our back door and the pool. So if she accidentally got out there, she would be protected. But even though we built the fence, I was always thinking, but what happens if she, you know, we leave the gate of the fence open on accident? Maybe we should build another fence, right? And as a parent, and you're thinking in that way, you, I mean, you just build fence after fence after fence after fence after fence to keep your kids from harm. That's what the Pharisees were doing, right? They didn't want to break God's law, so they would build a fence, and that fence made sense. But then what if they broke that fence? What if they jumped over it? So they'd build another one and another one and another one and another one. That was what the oral tradition was was all of these fences that kept them from breaking God's law. Right. We'll use a modern day example. Philippians chapter four, verse eight says that we should be filling our minds with things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are worthy of praise. Right. So if we do the opposite of that, we're, we're sinning against God's word. We don't want to sin. We want to do what's right. So we apply Philippians 4.8 to the music that we listen to. So maybe we build a fence and we say, we're not going to listen to any music that in the Apple store has the little E for explicit lyrics next to it. We're just going to make that guideline. It's not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, do not listen to songs with the letter E uh, next to the song in the Apple iTunes store. Apple's not mentioned in the Bible. I mean, you know, maybe the fruit is, but not the... Right. So that's not in there, but... But we build a fence. It makes good sense. But then you start thinking, but, you know, I mean, there are lots of songs that don't have that E that are, that are mentioning things and topics and ideas that probably go against Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. So let, let's just lay another fence and say we're not going to listen to any music that would have content that doesn't align with the Scripture. Right? But, but then maybe you take it a step further and you're like, but what about George Strait? Because, you know, not all of George Strait's songs are about Jesus, but, I mean, he is the king of Texas, and if we live here, like, we've, right? I mean, some of his songs have Jesus in them. It's usually not the Jesus from Scripture, but it's, you know, at least he's given a nod in that direction. But then he, I mean, he's got songs that are not about anything, really. I mean, they... They're not against Philippians 4.8, but they're not like for Philippians 4.8. So maybe we shouldn't listen to those kinds of songs either. And then maybe we should only listen to songs that, you know, actively are glorifying God. Not, not passively, but actively glorifying God, intentionally glorifying God. But even those songs have meat, beats and melodies and hooks that are connected to regular songs. And, and then pretty much you could end up just driving to work in silence. If you wanted to, you could build so many fences. And if you build enough fences over time, you're 
it really isn't about Philippians 4.8 anymore. It's just about the fences. And that was what the religious life of the Pharisees were all about. Right? What started as a seed of zealousness for God's law just became about their fences and, and the things that they surrounded God's law with to, to protect themselves. This Thanksgiving is coming up on Thursday, obviously. Some of you are hosting Thanksgiving, and you know, if you are the hostess or host, uh, everyone who comes to your house that day has expectations for you. Right? Uh, they have expectations for which food will be there. It, everybody's got their specific thing. It's not Thanksgiving unless there's green bean casserole and broccoli rice casserole and other vegetables drowned in cheese. It's not, it, it's not Thanksgiving unless the cheap canned uh, cranberry thing is happening, right? No, you would never eat that outside of Thanksgiving, but you gotta have that at that lunch, or it just, you might as well not even show. Everybody has their thing that you need to deliver to them, or else it doesn't count. So, the, and then the food quality has to be there, right? It just, it can't just be that there's a turkey. It's got to be the right kind of turkey. It's got to be cooked in the right way. It's got to be flavorable in a certain way. So there's the, the content, there's the quality, and then there just has to be a general atmosphere of Thanksgiving, right? I, I mean, it can't be heavy. It's got to be light hearted but it has a, have a sense of sentimentality to it and then some of us want a little bit of leaning into Christmas right like you know Thanksgiving is just lunch so I need some red and green just foreshadowing of the greater holiday that's to come right we got to watch this on TV we got to listen to this song this soundtrack everybody has expectations and if you're the hostess or the host and you know I love these people and they love me then you'll do your best to joyfully meet those expectations but imagine doing all of that for people who did not love you and you didn't really have any general affection for it too suddenly all those expectations are burdens they're just boxes that have to be checked and they would become heavy what should be light-hearted even though it's a lot of work now becomes a burden to bear and this is what jesus is saying the pharisees have done is they've taken god's law which in the context of a covenant relationship with God, I love God, he loves me. It can be a lot, but I want to do my best to meet those expectations. But when you build so many fences that not only are you fencing me off from potentially breaking God's law, you fence me off from God. Now these things are heavy. And the Pharisees just, they didn't care. They lay these burdens on people's backs and say, we've told you the quote unquote truth. Now get out there and live it. And they didn't do anything to help the people. Verse five. They do all their deeds to be seen by others for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth. For you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be instructors. For you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is saying, don't. Don't reach for titles of honor within God's kingdom. Don't make people call you rabbi. 
Don't make people call you teacher. Don't make people call you father because we're just all the same. You have one teacher, you have one instructor, you have one father in heaven. But the Pharisees, they they lived for these titles because of what verse 5 says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. And it talks about their phylacteries. In your listening guide, the phylacteries were small boxes inscribed with texts from God's law that were worn on the arms or fastened to the forehead. They are literally living out a passage in the Old Testament. And so they would have these boxes with leather straps and the box would be positioned on your arm. Inside the box would be some copies of an Old Testament law or two. And then there would one that would wrap, be one that would wrap around their head. And so you can imagine a box here on your forehead and one on your shoulder. Now, lots of people did this. Lots of people literally interpreted the scripture and were doing this. So if your righteousness was to be seen by others and everybody is doing this, how are you going to distinguish yourself from those who are not as zealous as you are? Well, you'd make your box bigger. To give the impression that you've either jammed more scripture in there than necessary or just to be noticed a little bit more. And then it mentions their fringes. In your listening guide, the fringes were prescribed by scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 12, and were worn on the outer corners of one's garment. So again, literally living out a, a reference in the Old Testament law, they would have these, this, this, this cord, essentially, that they would attach to whatever garment that they were wearing. And lots of people did this. So how would you distinguish yourself from all of the regular people? If you were a super Christian, how are you going to distinguish yourself from casual Christians? Well, you'd make your fringe real long and real noticeable. So people would go, oh, wow, they're, they're real serious about this. They wanted places of honor. At, at their banquets, there would be a U-shaped table. And the seat in the very middle of the U was the seat of honor. And then essentially everyone was ranked outside of that seat. And they wanted the seats in the middle. This is what they lived for. To be recognized. They were motivated by approval. I think I've mentioned before, but we've uh, uh, tried Whole30 a few times in our house and don't do it, by the way. Just don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. No, it's, I'm sure it's good. I don't need any emails about the health benefits of it. I get it. I get it. Right. But it's super hard. So it's no sugar. It's, it's, it's not even like chocolate. It's like no like sugar that your body makes, which I think is weird. goes against God. But anyway, uh, no sugar. Totally. You don't realize how addicted you are to sugar until you go... A few days without it. I never wanted a donut so bad than I did on day two of Whole30. That's why my Whole30 was Whole3. Just left out that zero at the end. Yeah. But you don't know you're addicted to sugar until you try to wean yourself off of it. The same thing is true for approval. All of us are addicted to it. But the only way that we realize that we are is if we try to live a day without it so we don't judge the pharisees here because if we had boxes tied around our hands and head i guarantee you there'd be a competition for whose was the biggest whose was the most fill in the blank if we had fringes today 
you know, maybe we'd rank ourselves by who's been here the longest. That's how long your fringe is, how, how deeply you've been committed, how long of a Christian you've been, how many good things that you do. If you want to know if you're a Pharisee, how righteous would you be? How motivated would you be to be righteous if you knew no one was going to see it? And if honestly, you would be like, well, I'd definitely be less motivated to read the scripture if no one ever knew I was reading the scripture. I'd be less motivated to come to church if no one knew that I had come. I'd be less motivated to do acts of kindness if nobody else noticed. And you and I are creeping up to the line of being a Pharisee. Verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. A proselyte in your listening guide was a God-fearing Gentile who took on the yoke of the Torah. There were Greeks, there were Gentiles who believed in the God of Israel. They rejected the Greek pantheon and they had read the scripture. They had some familiarity and they said, this God is real. These other gods, these are not real. Those were called God-fearing Gentiles. But you could take it a step further if you were one of those and you could take on the yoke of the law, which meant more than just I believe in that God, but I'm actually becoming Jewish. And if you were a male, there was a version of circumcision that you would have to do. And then you'd have to take on their dietary laws and their holidays and and all of the yoke of the law. And what Jesus is saying is the Pharisees, you travel all over the place to win proselytes, which is very difficult to do, and you do win them. But you don't win them to the kingdom of God. You, you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. The Pharisees acted as if they knew where they were going, but Jesus is pointing out that they don't. That's why in the next verse he calls them blind guides. Verse 16, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. If you just listen to that section and you're like, what? That's the point. Because what the Pharisees were doing is they would use their words to hold the people that they didn't like accountable and to set free those that they did like. So they had this very complicated set of rulings to decide if you needed to keep your promise. Somebody in a rash moment would say, I promise that I'm going to give everything that I have to the poor. And I swear it by the temple. But then later on, they would do what we would do, which is like, eh, I was kind of getting caught up in the moment, and uh, I'd kind of like to take that back. Well, if the Pharisees like you, they would say, well, you know, we've gone and prayed about it. We've studied the scripture. And had you sworn by the gold of the temple, 
well, then you would have to do it. But since you just swore by the temple itself, you're free. They would use their words to justify their friends and condemn their enemies. I mean, that's what cable news is. If you're on my team, I'll use my words to back everything you have ever said and will say. But if I'm not on your team, then everything you do is evil. And the Pharisees were doing that for their friends. And Jesus says, you've made the kingdom of God about a bunch of words uh, and ultimately about a lot of things that don't matter. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The Pharisees, they would have tithes on whatever their garden yielded. So just a little bit of mint and cumin and dill, they would cut it up and take 10% of it to the temple to offer it. It would be the equivalent of us finding a dime this week and putting a penny in the offering plate today. God provided this dime for me. He he, he just had me stumble upon it. So I'm going to give a tenth, a tithe, 10% of a dime is a penny. So a penny goes into the offering plate. And Jesus says, keep doing that. It's great. But if you don't love people, who cares that you're tithing on such a specific thing, which most of us would not do? So who cares how many boxes you check righteousness-wise this week if you just shrug your shoulders at people's suffering? If you say, I looked apart righteousness-wise, and I'm doing a lot of things, but I don't really care about those people in California who have lost their homes and stuff. I mean, it's California, so... (laughs) Jesus says, that's not it. Ultimately, if you don't want to become a Pharisee, just be great at loving people and you'll be fine. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus calls them hypocrites consistently through this. You, you, you know this. We've talked about it many times. A hypocrite used to not have any kind of moral attachment to, to it. It just was a word to describe somebody who acted in a play. And Jesus is using it to describe the Pharisees. He's saying, you just are playing a role of righteousness. You are not actually righteous yourself. This is just a character that you're playing on TV. Because again, your motive for all of this is to be seen by others. Now, what happens sometimes, if you like movies and television and stuff, you, you listen to an I- interview with an actor. That actor, actress will say, you know, I found a lot of resource for this uh, character that I'm playing because I have a lot in common with the character. 
I too have gone through this, or I know what this feels like, or this has been my experience. And so they're able to channel that overlap between what's happening to their character and what's happening to them, the way that their character is supposed to feel and the way that they feel. This is how many of us can be Pharisees for our entire lives and never notice because there is some overlap between the righteous role we are playing and presenting to the world and actually what we would like to to feel and have happen. In the role that we're playing to impress one another, We're supposed to love the scripture. And we have that in common with ourselves. We really want to be people who love the scripture. We don't, but we'd like to be. We have that in common with the role that we play. The character that we present to one another as Christians is, I really care about people. Well, there is some part of us that that is true. There are people that we care about. We have that in common. But just because we have a lot in common with the role that we're playing, if we are playing a role, we're still a Pharisee. If the goal is, this is my presentation to the world, I want them to have this impression of my faith. Even if there's a lot of overlap, we're still a hypocrite. The Pharisees were prizing their ritual purity over actual purity. Jesus says, you're whitewashed tombs, you're decorated tombs. So the tomb looks beautiful, but on the inside is filled with dead men's bones. And, and a Pharisee couldn't get close to uh, a cemetery because it made them unclean, legally unclean. So they couldn't go into the temple to pray. They'd have to set out a certain amount of days. Uh, and, and so they would avoid it. But they, they paint themselves on the outside as if they are clean, but on the inside, they're unclean. Jesus says, you're like a cup that's been washed on the outside but on the inside it's filled with evil does your ritual purity your habitual purity the purity that you're presenting on the exterior is it just a cover for impurity Jesus would say who cares what you look like if who you are on the inside is no good The problem is, is we can't see through one another, but Jesus can see through us. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus the witnesses against yourselves, thus you witness against yourselves, for you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. The Pharisees were saying, well, we're not like our forefathers. Our forefathers murdered God's prophets. So they would build monuments. They would make plaques to recognize those prophets that their forefathers have killed. Verse 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Abel was 
uh, Adam and Eve's son, his brother Cain murdered him. That's at the beginning of the Bible. And Zechariah is murdered at the end of the Old Testament. Not literally our Old Testament because our Old Testament ends with the prophets. But the story of the Old Testament. So what Jesus is saying is in the sweep of Old Testament history, this innocent person murdered to the last innocent person murdered, to all those innocent people that you are going to hurt, all of their blood is going to come on your head. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. The Pharisees, they were celebrating that they were not like their forefathers. And Jesus says, you're exactly like your forefathers. And then they proved it because in a few chapters, they will flog and kill Jesus. That's really Matthew's point at the end of his gospel is the people who were supposed to lead the way to God murdered the son of God. That's why we don't want to be Pharisees. Because the heart of a Pharisee starts out as an offering to God. I don't want to break your law. But because it's twisted, we end up becoming opponents of God. Verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. If you're like me, the pendulum swings a little bit too close to being a Pharisee than I would like. So what is the answer? Jesus says, after he goes on this very long and honest and painful confrontation, calling them serpents and vipers and wicked and sons of hell, he says about them and all of Jerusalem with you, I I wish that I could just take you under my wings. It's the good news about Jesus. Whether you're on the sinner side of the pendulum today or the Pharisee side of the pendulum The answer is the same to both. You take up Jesus' invitation. And if we align ourselves with him, he changes the hearts of sinners and Pharisees. Let's pray.